Amen. Morning, church. Are you praising God? The Bible says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. So do you have breath this morning? Praise Him. Praise Him with all you got because He is so worthy. He's worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our lives. He's worthy of everything. And that's why as a church we come together for that one and only purpose, to praise Him, to glorify Him, to serve Him, to worship Him. And so, man, I, I wish I was with you. I, there's a few people here, so I'm happy this morning that there's a few people here. Uh, but so many of you are, are in your homes, you're in your kitchens, you're wherever you are. Just know that we are praising God together and that the Spirit of God is binding us together. And I'm so thankful that I can be part of the church with you. And I look forward to the day that we can truly, truly be together and worship Him. So I was, like many of you, woke up this morning uh, thinking about my mom. And uh, we we're so thankful for, for mothers. And I, I thought, man, I, I was so blessed with an amazing mom who worked tirelessly and selflessly to, uh, to raise me and my siblings and to uh, serve God as in her role. And I'm so thankful for her, so thankful for our moms and uh, how they reflect God in so many different ways. So bless you moms. So we're working through uh, the book of Ecclesiastes and uh, uh, I got to tell you, uh, this book has been really rich for me personally. It's blessed me. It's, it's helped me grow in my, my relationship with God uh, in so many ways. And I think uh, a surface reading of Ecclesiastes is very dangerous. It, it would be very dangerous just to run through Ecclesiastes because you can easily miss the point. And many people do. In fact, I think most people miss the point of Ecclesiastes. They, they read those first words, and, and if you read it in the NIV, I think you get the wrong picture because it says meaninglessness, but it's not about meaninglessness. In fact, it's just the opposite. <laughs> Ecclesiastes is about purpose and meaning and joy in this life. That's why we've titled this whole series, Joy Under the Sun. This is a book about joy. How can we enjoy this life that God has given us? And that invitation, that message is so strong in this book. But the book contrasts that message of joy with the message that so many in the world are pursuing, which is a message of, of pursuing life on our own without God. And Ecclesiastes has that contrast, that contrast between life without God and that life with God. And that contrast is found not just in the book of Ecclesiastes, but the entire Bible is this incredible contrast between living with God or living without God. And my prayer for myself and for you this morning is that we would desire God, that we would long for Him and His presence, because His presence is joy. His presence is everything that's good. Without him, there is nothing good. And that's what Solomon found out. He tried living without God. He pursued all his desires. He pursued pleasure. He pursued wealth. He pursued fame. He pursued having material things. He pursued all kinds of things. And what did he find? He said, it's a chasing after the wind. It's vanity. It's like a vapor. It's like smoke. You can't hold on to it. It doesn't last. And the contrast that Solomon discovered, and I think... I am discovering, and I, I pray that you discover, is that if you understand that life is a gift from God, and that you can live with God, you discover that all the things that you desire and you enjoy 
can be enjoyed as a gift from God and that this life can be filled with rich meaning and purpose. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 6 starting verse 12 and then we're going to be uh, working through chapter 7 verse 14. And um, Solomon uh, is right in the middle of uh, a thought here in verse 12 and he's been painting this picture of the reality that um, money has a purpose, right? And then he's transitioning to talk about a new subject about death. But verse 12 is really important because it helps us uh, understand what he's going to talk about in chapter 7. And so would you look on the screen with me what he says in Ecclesiastes verse 6, or chapter 6 verse 12. He says, for who knows what is good for a man during his lifetime, during the few years of his futile life. He will spend them like a shadow, for who can tell a man what will be after him under the sun? And uh, when I first read that, what, what caught my attention was the phrase, who knows? <laughs> who knows? Um, like me, many of you, you have strong opinions or you uh, like to think you know a lot of things. I know I do. I like to know things. <laughs> I want to know things. But if we're honest, uh, so much of life cannot be known. Um, I think a lot of times we pretend really well that we know more than we do, right? But there's this deep desire in all of us to know. And I think it's connected to the big message in Ecclesiastes because one of the things Solomon is trying to help us understand, and I think that God is trying to understand, is, is we're not God. We are finite. We are mortals. We, we don't have control of everything. We sure want it. <laughs> we sure look for ways of trying to have control over things. But the reality is we don't. And Ecclesiastes reminds us over and over and over that we are not gods. We are mortals. We are limited. We are finite. We don't have all the answers. We don't know everything. And uh, this desire for knowledge starts at the very beginning of the Bible. If you open your Bibles all the way back to Genesis and you start reading, what you're introduced to is this beautiful story, God's story. And it starts in a garden. And in that garden, God created a tree. And he told Adam and Eve, um, you can have all the fruit of this garden. <laughs> you can enjoy all my gifts. Everything I've made is for you to enjoy. But don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Think about the title of that tree, the name of that tree, the knowledge of good and evil. You know, it's interesting that Adam and Eve had access to the creator of everything. <laughs> the one who knows everything, knew everything. In fact, they would walk with him in the cool of the morning. They would see the sunrise and the sunset with God, and they would hear from him and talk with him and share with him. And that, that's beautiful life. But there was this one tree about knowledge, and, and they were curious. They wanted to know. And if you look at that story when the serpent, Satan, comes and tempts Adam and Eve, he says to them, he says to them, uh, you can be like gods. <laughs> if you eat of that fruit, you too can know good and evil. You too can know. And, and that is the ultimate temptation, I think, of sin and rebellion against God in our lives is that we, we want to, in a sense, try to be gods. I, I call it the God impulse. I think there's a, a God impulse in all of us is, is we want to know, we want to be in control, we want to be over 
things. We even want to be over God. And that is the gravest and darkest sin that any of us can wrestle with, is this prideful desire for control to be even over God. That's what Satan did. He fought against God. He rebelled against God, and he wanted the glory. He wanted the worship. He wanted to know over God. And so this idea of knowing is a deep temptation. It's a deep struggle for all of us. And by the way, when Solomon and Ecclesiastes talk about knowledge, it's not anti-learning. <laughs> in fact, much of the Bible is an invitation to learn, an invitation to grow, to become fully human in every way that God intended us. And he made us to be learners, to be people who grow and are intellectually curious. And so he's not talking about learning in the sense of, of, of gaining knowledge and skills of, of living out this life. What he's really talking about here is knowing like God knows. The unknowable questions. The things that are in God's realm and not ours. So I think going through this uh, pandemic, all of us <laughs> are asking a lot of questions. We want to know certain things, right? We want to know when is this going to end? We want to know uh, all these questions of, of what do we do here? What do we do there? And, and the, the world is flooded with ideas and things that people are trying to figure out. But there's a danger there, right? There's a danger. And Solomon reminds us that we are not God, that we are people. And there are things that we can't know. It's kind of like when my wife was expecting our first son. <laughs> we were so excited and the doctor gave us a due date and said, he's going to come on this day. And so, um, well, they don't tell you he's going to come exactly the day, around this time. But, but we kind of had that date fixed in our mind because we thought, hey, he's going to come. But a week went by and then another week and he still wasn't there. And we wanted to know, when is he going to come? When's the baby going to come? <laughs> but no one knows. No one knows when the baby's going to come. And so there's questions. What's going to happen to our economy? What's going to happen in the future? We don't know. No one knows. And then the big question is, when are we going to die? No one knows. I can tell you as a pastor, there's been so many times where I've been with people and, and the, the doctor says they have so much longer to live and, and, and the person may die sooner or they may die weeks or even months or even years later because no one knows. No one knows when we're going to die. Only God knows. And so there's this issue of us wanting to know, but the reality is none of us know. We don't know. And I think that's okay. In fact, I think faith is that trust. It's that believing that we don't need to know, but God knows. <laughs> and that trust, that faith, allows us to rest in God's goodness and not what we can control, not what we can figure out, not what we can know. And so Solomon reminds us that our life is like a shadow, right? And we have an expiration date. There's a death date for all of us, and it's inescapable. We cannot escape that reality. We're mortals. We're finite. So how do we live knowing that? How do we live knowing that, that we won't know everything, that we don't have answers to all the questions? How will we live knowing that there is a death date. There's an expiration date for all of us. How will we live? And I think that's what Solomon's going to help us think through in the next chapter, chapter 7. 
And he's going to introduce this idea of death. So if you look in your Bibles in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verses 1 through 4. This is what he says. A good name is better than good ointment. And the day of one's death is better than the, when, than the, than the day of one's birth. Wait a minute. What are you saying, Solomon? <laughs> You're saying the day we die is better than the day we're, we're born? Listen what he says. That it's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. Because that is the end of every man. And the living takes this to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter. And when a face is sad, a heart may be happy. The mind of the wise is in the house of the morning, while the mind of fools is in the house of pleasure. So what is Solomon talking about here? <laughs> this is sounding depressing. <laughs> but he's getting to something very, very important. Um, we don't like to talk about death. Death is a hard, hard subject. Um, it's something we don't like to think about. But Solomon keeps reminding us about death over and over and over. He keeps coming back to it. In fact, he just won't let it die, right? He won't let this subject die. He wants us to think about it. Now, I don't think Solomon's being morbid here. I think there's a lesson here for us. It's really important. There's two aspects of death that I want us to think about. One is death is a curse. The Bible never, ever says that death is good. In fact, it always says that it is an evil thing. It's a wrong thing. It's a curse. It's a terrible thing. In fact, there was no death until the point of sin came into the world. And then it's only at that point that death became a reality. We, we have this longing, this desire for eternity. In fact, in Ecclesiastes 3, it says God has placed eternity in our hearts. We, we live and long for eternal, eternal life. And in fact, that's why Jesus came. He came that we might have eternal life. So, so death is never a good thing. Death is a terrible thing. It's a terrible curse. And it's a reality that none of us should look forward to. But it's the reality of this curse that gives us the good news that Jesus came and he faced the curse head on. He didn't pretend. And that's the danger with death is we can ignore it. We try to escape from it. We try to think that it doesn't exist or we try to live as if it doesn't exist. But Jesus didn't pretend. He faced it head on. He went to the cross and he faced death. And so as the son of God, he took that curse upon himself. But the good news is he didn't stay dead. <laughs> he rose again. And the resurrection is God's answer to the curse of death. Because God didn't create this world for death. He created it for life. God is a God of life. He breathed life into Adam and Eve. He breathed life into you. The moment you were born, you took a breath and the breath of God was in you. His life. And that is the the goal and the purpose God has for every one of us. And he accomplishes that purpose through the resurrection. And so death is a curse. In fact, at the end of the story in Revelation, it says after Jesus comes back and, and this whole world is, is put aright again and, and death, it says, is captured. And Jesus takes death and he throws it into the lake of fire. So there's this hope, this picture that death will be destroyed <laughs> once and for all. And we won't have to live with that looming reality of that curse and, and evil of death in our lives. But here's the second point I want to make about death. Not only is it a curse, but God can use it in this life to be a teacher. 
And this is Solomon's primary point. His primary point isn't that we should think about death in a, in a gloomy, uh, sort of depressing way. He's wanting us to think about death so that we can live right now. The whole point that Solomon is making that to live, that God has a purpose for how we live in this life. That this life matters. That this life is a gift from God. And God has things he wants to do in my life and your life that he doesn't want us to miss. And we have to think about death in order to really gain and grasp the reality of the, the depth of the meaning of life. So the contrast is between superficial living, a shallow life, versus a life of depth, of character, of meaning. And that is the, is the message I think Solomon has for us today, is that when we think about death, it actually can become a teacher. It's interesting when, um, as a pastor, I've been with people on their deathbed as they're facing that moment, uh, the things they talk about matter. <laughs> they don't talk about how much money they made or the awards they got or, or, or the accomplishments they did. That they talk about things that really matter, things that last, things that are ultimately valuable. And I think that's Solomon's point, is that it's at a funeral that we think about the, the most important things of life, the things that really matter. And, and I think it's so important for us to live today knowing that someday there's going to be a funeral and thinking about what are people going to say about how we lived. Because if we think about that, then we're going to make different kind of choices today. We're going to do different kind of things. We're going we're to understand what's important, what lasts. And so this is what David uh, Gibson uh, says he wrote a book called Living Life Backwards on Ecclesiastes, and this book has blessed me so much. He says, let's be clear, the person who lives like this, what Solomon's talking about, is not a morbid person. <laughs> God doesn't want us to be morbid people. He wants us to be people who live. On the contrary, what characterizes a person who lives like this is depth. And so when we think about our end, then we can truly live in the present. We can truly live in depth of what really matters. They have depth of soul, depth of character. Superficiality is the mark of the escapist who lives in denial. And this is what Solomon wants to, to warn us against, is being escapist. <laughs> living in denial, living for meaningless things, things that don't matter. Things that will have no eternal weight, eternal life. And so in the following verses, Solomon outlines four things, four ways that we try to escape. And so he's, he's trying to jar us to say, you know, the day of death is better than the day of birth because I want you to think about what matters. I want you to, to really uh, grasp what, what God has for you in this life. Don't miss out on what God has for you because he's got good things. <laughs> he's got joy for you. And so here's the four things that Solomon talks about. In verse 5, he says, It's better to listen to the rebuke of a wise man than the one who listens to the song of fools. For it is in the clacking of thorn bushes under a pot, so is the laughter of a fool. And this too is futility. For the oppression makes a wise man mad, and a bribe corrupts the heart. And so verse 7 helps us understand the first thing I think that Solomon wants us to think about. And it's thinking about money. Uh, already uh, last week, uh, Bill Ewing uh, 
spent a lot of time talking about money, so I won't, I won't repeat everything he had to say. In fact, I, I encourage you to go back and watch last week's sermon because it is so important to understand this relationship with money and how God alone is worthy of our worship. And so, uh, but money has a purpose, has a place in our lives. And so I think what Solomon is saying is when we think about money in light of death, the, the temptation to bribe or to use other people it changes because under, when we understand what really matters, we understand that people matter more than money. I think that's what Solomon is saying here. He's saying the danger is to live as if money is more important than people. That's a danger. That's shallow living. That's superficial living because money is temporary. It doesn't last. But people are eternal. In fact, the Bible says there's only two things that last forever. The Word of God and people. You and I are everlasting beings. And so the greatest joy that we have in this life is the relationships, the people that God's placed in our lives. And so instead of looking to use or abuse people to get something from them, we can be the kind of people who can value and love and put others before ourselves. And this is what Solomon is saying. And so instead of escaping as if somehow money can somehow give us what we need, we can understand that people have more value than money. What's the second thing that Paul, that, or that um, Solomon says? Verse 8, the end of a matter is better than its beginning. Patience of spirit is better than haughtiness of spirit. Patience of spirit is better than haughtiness of spirit. The other temptation um, to, of escaping in this life that Solomon talks about is lack of patience. Um, we can try to get our way, <laughs> and when people aren't lining up with what we think they should do, we can get impatient, right? I struggle with that. I think we all struggle with that. In fact, I've heard many times that one of the most dangerous things you can pray is for more patience, right? Because <laughs> God will test that in our lives. And so this issue of patience reveals a denial of what matters, right? We can get so caught up in mundane, shallow, simple things that really have no value, but we can get so impatient over those things that we can run over people. I, I struggle with this as a father with my kids, <laughs> and, and I can get bent out of shape over things that don't matter, right? If, so what if the car gets dirty, right? <laughs> that can be cleaned up, but my son, he matters, right? And so the invitation here is when we think about death, we think about the people that really matter. We don't, we don't get so caught up in, in superficial things. What's the third thing that Solomon talks about here? Do not be eager in your heart to be angry, for anger resides in the bosom of fools. And so again, what does anger reveal? Anger reveals a heart that is, is shallow, it denies the reality of God because so many times we're angry because we want control. <laughs> we want to make things happen our way or we don't get our way and we get angry and we get upset. And so I think a lot of times, and Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount talked about anger and, and, and how that is such a, an issue that can separate us from God. And the reality is we have to deal with this issue of anger and it's really about trusting God, right? It's about believing that that God is just and that he can take care of other people and we don't have to be in control. We don't have to get our way. We don't have to get vengeance. We can forgive. 
And I think the opposite side of explosive anger is internalizing anger, which many times shows up as depression. And we just get down on ourselves and around the world around us. And it's really an expression of anger. And so the opposite of this is really to allow our hearts to trust God, to believe that God is in control <laughs> and that he will take care of those around us and he will take care of us. And when we rest in that, we don't have to go to anger. And then the last one that Solomon says in verse 10 is really about being nostalgic for the old days, right? Do you not say, why is it that the former days were better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask about this. <laughs> Do you remember the good old days when we could shake hands? <laughs> Do you remember when we could give hugs and, and, and the, when you could go into the store and not everyone was wearing masks? <laughs> like, I long for those days, right? But, but there's a danger with that. There's a danger with thinking back, you know, back when I was a kid, everything was great. Or remember that time when I was in college? Or do you remember that time when I was in high school? Or do you remember that time when we lived here or there? Nostalgic feelings are not bad in of themselves. But we have to be careful because it can rob us from depth of living in the present. Listen to what C.S. Lewis uh, said in The Weight of Glory. This is what he talks about this temptation. He says, the things in which we thought the beauty was located will betray us if we trust in them. And so sometimes when we look back, what happens is we think what was beautiful back then, it, it, there's this longing, there's this idea that if we could only get back to that. <laughs> Have you ever heard of that? If only we could get back to those days. And this is a very dangerous thing. Solomon's warning us against this because it's shallow. It's escapist. It doesn't allow us to live in the present. And so what C.S. Lewis says, what we thought was beautiful back then, it will betray us if we trust in that. Remember, all four of these things are about trust. For it was not in them, it only came through them. And so as you think back to those things that bring up those, those good feelings or, or that longing, be careful. And what came through them was longing. These things, the beauty, the memory of our own past are good images of what we really desire. But if they are mistaken for the thing itself, they turn into dumb idols. And what's so insightful about what C.S. Lewis is saying about nostalgia, and if we think about what Solomon is saying about money and lack of patience and anger, all of these have to do with worship. They really have to do with what we worship, what we trust. And the danger is we can begin to worship and long and, and desire things that aren't God, <laughs> that really won't satisfy, that really won't help us in this present moment. They're only the scent of the flower that we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country we have not visited. These are prophetic words that C.S. Lewis is speaking because I think what Satan wants to do with that tree of knowledge of good and evil is he wants us to try to hold on to things, to grasp things that are not God. And when we do that, we will die. We will experience death. Death and all of its terrible curse, all of its terrible weight. And so the, the invitation is not to escape reality in these empty things, but to open our hands and to trust God and to worship Him, to give Him our lives. 
How do I know that Solomon is talking about worship? Well, go with me to verse 13. Consider the work of God. Consider the work of God. And so, if you are in this moment and you're, uh, you're looking back to both good things and bad things, you can look back in your life and see times where maybe you uh, hurt people or you were hurt or there's lack of patience or there's anger. There's all these things in our lives. And, and I, I think the invitation here is don't get caught up in those things. Turn your gaze to God. Consider God. Look to Him because He changes things. <laughs> and so what Jesus offers us when He came and He died on the cross is He offered us a way out of the curse of death. Not only the physical death, but the spiritual death. Where we don't have to live in, in, the, in, the, in the grasp of empty worship and empty things, but He invites us to eternal life, to abundant life. And that's the invitation here, is consider what God has done. In verse 13, for who is able to straighten what he has bent? And so we began this message by saying, who knows? <laughs> and we don't know, but God knows. He knows, and he can do what we cannot do. He can forgive. He can redeem. He can make broken things whole. He's the healer. And I love what we sang already this morning. He's always working. Even when you don't feel it, even when you don't see it, God is always working. Do you believe that this morning? That no matter what your circumstances are today, that God is working? And the invitation, I think what Solomon is, is helping us think through is, is our, our death is coming, but, but we're alive today. And so today's the day to live. Today's the day to worship God. Today's the day to allow God to, to work in your heart and my heart so that we live in such a way that we live for what really matters. That's why Jesus came, because he is able to straighten what's bent in our lives. I love what Psalm 23 says, is that he will follow us all the days of life. His goodness, his mercy will follow us all the days of our life. And so we leave a mess behind us, but God, in his grace, he's straightening everything out. He's, he's merciful. He's good. He's gracious. Verse 14, in the day of prosperity, be happy. But in the day of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other, so that men will dis not discover anything that will be after him. You see, we're going to have good days, and we're going to have bad days. There's going to be good times and there's going to be bad times. This life is full of ups and downs and twists and turns. There's all kinds of things that are going to come at us. But here's the invitation. Will we consider God? Will we worship Him? Will we trust Him? And if, and if we do, will we live in the present moment with the wisdom that God gives? Let's, let's live for what really matters. Even in this pandemic where, where everything is kind of crazy and turned upside down, we're still alive. As long as you have breath in your lungs, praise God. Live for God. Live wisely. Live in a way that reflects His glory and His goodness. You see, it's not too late. Today is the day of salvation. That's why Jesus came. He came to save us from the curse of death. Not only that resurrection life that comes after our physical death, but the death of sin today can be broken in Jesus' name. I love how Paul talks in Romans 11 as he, as he, he kind of asks the same question that Solomon asks. 
who knows? <laughs> in Romans 9 through 11, he's asking big questions. And, and every time Paul says, I, I, I don't know, all he says is, I'm, I'm clay and God's the potter. He's the one who's working all this out. I don't know. God knows. I trust God. And this is what he says in, in Romans 11 verse 33. And I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up as we close this time. And this is what Paul says. He says, oh, how great are God's riches. You see, our resources are limited, but God's resources are unlimited. And wisdom and knowledge, how impossible it is for us to understand. <laughs> we can't understand everything. There are questions we don't have answers to, but that's okay because we trust God. It's impossible for us to understand God's decisions and his ways. We're not God. He's God. This is what Paul says, for who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to give him advice? <laughs> we can't give God advice. He's God. And who has given to him so much that he needs to pay it back? But listen what verse 36 says, for everything comes from him. And this is the message of Ecclesiastes. Life is a gift. <laughs> God is a gift giver. Salvation is available today. He's given everything for us to have life to its fullest, to have joy, to have peace, to have love, to have patience, to have every good thing that he gives through his Holy Spirit. Everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. You see, it's about worship. My life isn't about me. It's not for me. It's for God. Your life isn't about you. It's for God. And all glory to him forever and ever. Amen. Let's worship him. As we worship 